This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And I am out on the sea. Mm-hmm. You just drifted? Across the great blue yonder. Mm-hmm. On the ocean tides. Mm-hmm. Sounds relaxing. Should I make like ocean sounds or something? Wilson! Oh, no. <laughs> She <laughs> was angry so that now, day, my friend. Now, now I'm sad. <laughs> now I'm sad that Wilson's gone. Yeah. Well, we we loved the time that we had with him mm-hmm. here on this book podcast, mm-hmm. where he read books and he would tell us about them. Yes. When let, we let, had not let us, read them, let us cast away this bit and get back to talking about books, which mm-hmm. is what we do mm-hmm. each and each and every week here in Philadelphia. For, the longest unbroken oh, continuous bags, amount of time that I have perhaps ever done anything in my entire life. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. So every week, yeah, like you said, one of us reads a book, tells the other person about it. This week, I read Wide Sargasso Sea by Gene Reese. Yeah. That's it's a book. It's a book that's not really about the ocean. It's kind of about, uh, about Jane Eyre, the book. It is that, about we also, Jane Eyre. that I also read many years ago. The only thing I remember <laughs> about the Jane Eyre episode off the top of my head is the circumstances in which it was recorded. Where I was at, if I was in San Francisco for work, I had forgotten my microphone and I needed to go to the Radio Shack, buy a oh, USB yeah. microphone, and put a sock over it as a pop screen. Huh. And I also remember it being like a decent episode and liking the book Jane Eyre. But like when you say the overdue episode about Jane Eyre to me, that's the thing that I remember. <laughs> uh, that was episode what andrew blink it was episode 182 woo all the small things truth care mr rochester brings um this book that you read taught yeah. me what the sargasso sea was i didn't know what the sargasso sea is yeah and it's like it's not a it's the thing i know about it is it's not like a landlocked sea it's the only not it has no land boundaries whatsoever it's just like plants or whatever well and it's bounded by four currents it is like horizontally Mm. between you know england and north america Mm -hmm. and like it's between the caribbean and england which is relevant to the book you know what you know what though is uh it's better to be bound by currents than bound by the past that's what i think huh that's just what I think. Um, <laughs> do you know what Star Trek the animated man, man, series every, is? Every week I'm like, is this the last podcast we're going to do? <laughs> is this the time where I finally say something that he just can't respond to and he hangs up and we're done? <laughs> you, do you know what Star Trek the animated series is? is that I do know what Star Trek the animated series is. It is a, I think, early 70s, mm. super cheap, like low rent 
animated show that most of the original series cast came back and and huh. did the voices for and it like it's not officially canon but every star trek showrunner of the modern era has spent time being like what have we made this specific element from the anime what have we made like the cat people from star trek the animated series canon, canon. And we okay did it this cool way. <laughs> yeah. they referenced uh sargasso c at one point because oh. not this book but they <laughs> they reference it when they they come across an area where like a bunch of spaceships have been stranded and they call it like i don't know that somebody says it's a real sargasso sea because apparently it being kind of inside of a bunch of currents it is actually very calm water mm-hmm. in, and it has this like very um distinctive seaweed but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of shipping boats have had trouble there because uh the wind there's just not enough wind like you yeah. just kind of get a little lost in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um well look so. at you being the star trek boy for this episode yeah uh-huh i'm doing cool. the work yeah uh, this is not a book either of us have read before but as you said you read jane Eyre, so we'll talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit i'm sure mm-hmm. uh let's talk about gene reese real quick Ella Gwendolyn Reese Williams, born in 1890, passed away in 1979, was a British novelist born and raised in Dominica, a uh, country in the Caribbean, uh, which be- gained its Caribbean. <laughs> I don't. What's a Caribbean <laughs> with you? <laughs> All right, uh, sorry. Go ahead. It, go ahead. it gained its independence uh, in 1978. I think it was like. It was under Spanish and French and English colonial rule, um, which English being the most relevant to this book. Um, and it is, I did not know this. It is, Dominica is still actively being formed by volcanic activity. It's like one of the youngest islands in the Caribbean. That's cool. Um, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I don't actually know if it's Caribbean or Caribbean. I just know it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, but sure. That must be. Do you think that it brags to all the other islands about how young it is? It's probably that it's on still TikTok. like I'm still I'm still breaking out over here. <laughs> the Gen but, Z of islands over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So her great grandfather had been like governor of Dominica. Like her family, as as white British people, goes back a ways there. Um. And by her childhood in the 20th century. There were like fewer than a hundred white Dominicans on an island of like twenty nine thousand people. Like, I'm sure we'll talk about what befell uh, colonists and you know slave owners and things like that who were in Dominica. Or, yeah, here's or, a spoiler: Jamaica, is that they right? in this book? Yeah, Jamaica. Okay. Here, here's a spoiler: is that the 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 people who were on the islands did not like look super kindly on the people who had previously enslaved yeah. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoops. Oops. Um, and so she was a young white girl living on this island where there not a lot of other white people. Um, and then when she was in sixteen, I think she moved back to England. And she was kicked out of the Royal Academy of Art uh, for, like, performance, I think, because she sounded too West Indian, like, had too much of an accent from the islands. Ugh, and you know and how those Brits are about their accents. They very much are. Oi, Gov. Mm. And she... Core blimey. Core blimey, indeed. <laughs> um, 
And so there's this thing. I found this Lit Hub article uh, by Gabrielle Below um, called Jean Reese Had to Leave Her Home to Truly See It, which dives into a lot of this backstory. There's also a New Yorker review of an autobiography that I might cite a little bit as we talk The Many Confrontations of Jean Reese by James Wood. Oh, James Wood. Um, not James Woods. Not James Woods. <laughs> uh, um, but in the Lit Hub article, she says that Reese romanticized and fetishized blackness in her autobiography, uh, both out of ignorant stereotyping and out of a deep lingering to fit in better in her homeland. Um, she's of Welsh and Scots Creole ancestry, and I think this is probably in the book as well, Andrew Creole here, meaning just someone born in the Caribbean islands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and is a thing that is looked, you know, white Creoles are looked down upon by white people from England. Uh, yeah. And that's a thing that was a big part of her life. She mm-hmm. married multiple times. At least one of her husbands did time for financial crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, left her in, in bad states. And then she took up with this guy, Ford Maddox Ford, who became well, two a, Fords, yeah, huh? I know. Jeez, okay. <laughs> uh, he became like a writing mentor to her. I think they had a relationship. Uh, he actually recommended that she start going by Jean Reese because I think her husband at the time was going through it in the you know judicial realm you gonna take name advice from a guy with two Fords in his name well maybe she was impressed I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, just like, your parents running out of ideas <laughs> so she had uh, before this she had four books Quartet uh, After Leaving Mr. McKenzie Voyage in the Dark and Good Morning Midnight from 1928 to 1939 and they all have, from what I can tell, they, or at least many of them have, kind of a composite character that is this um, young English woman of maybe an ambiguous ethnicity, or it is a, a cre- you know a white Creole or someone who is kind of floating between worlds, yeah, impoverished and kind of just negotiating whatever her particular traumas are. Um, yeah, in, in this book, that's the the character uh, Antoinette, who yeah. um, is a like a she's the character Bertha Mason yeah. from Jane Eyre's. She's Mr. Rochester's wife, who is the reason why he can't marry anybody else. The Mad Woman for, in the Attic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and she is like simultaneously like closer to many of the like the the black people on mm-hmm. in, in Jamaica where the, like where she was raised but she's also completely like cut off from them and then that that not belonging in either place is part of what her in this book anyway it, part of what her like mental issues stem from sure so, yep. yes mm-hmm. um, in 1939 good morning moonlight did very poorly oh. um and so she kind of like faded into obscurity. Uh, some media said that she was dead. Uh, her <laughs> public, like, sh- you know, she wound up spending the last like two decades of her life in a a house that was probably not meant for people to live in it. Like it was probably not in good shape. And yeah. <laughs> um, but in 1949, this actress Selma Vazdiaz 
tried to contact her about an adaptation of Good Morning Moonlight, and she had to take out a personal ad to find her. Oh, and so Reese, no, no, no agent then. You no. say. Reese later wrote that it was very tactless of me to be alive. She said, <laughs> uh, "I feel that way. I feel that way quite <laughs> quite regularly." And Vastias is the one who encouraged her to embark on the project of this book, uh, which was. Uh, you know, a multi-year project. She had probably completed it by 1964, very late in her life. But she had to recover from a heart attack. It took her two years to like come back and finish it. Yeah, um, I know that she like she didn't want it published until until she had had time to come back to it and yeah. adjust a couple things. And for a while, her health was a, an impediment to her doing that. Yep. Um, so it was published in 1966, and it was incredibly well regarded. Like right away. Um, it won a W.H. Smith Literary Award, uh, and ever since it's been listed on a number of, like, 100 best English language. Andrew, it was one of T- Times Magazine's 100 best English language novels since 1923. 1923? Yeah. I can tell <laughs> you why it's 1923, but do you want to guess? Is it because the year that the magazine came out ended yeah. in three and it was doing like 50 years or 60 or something? It was, it was, it did this list in like the 2000s, but it to was the 2000s. Okay. They just decided, same with the film list, that they only wanted to go back as far as the magazine had existed. They were, they were wild out in the 2000s. I mean, they really that, was, that was the decade where they did the one with the mirror on the cover where because you, you were the person, you were of, the the person of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this book has been adapted, uh, you know, Vas Diaz adapted the other book, and then this was adapted in a, into a film in 1993, Opera 97, two different BBC radio productions. It's referenced in a 2011 song by Stevie Nicks. Uh, Thanks, Stevie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... Nope, nope, Siri, that wasn't talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We'll leave that in. We can leave that in. Uh, Special guest host. So, yeah, that's that's a very, you know, quick rundown of of Reese. Um, There's more to to read about, you know, her home life uh, on Dominica and kind of some uh, parental abuse she experienced and her failed marriages and things like that. And there have been a lot of scholars who have put her in conversation with folks like contemporaries like Virginia Woolf and things like that. But she was kind of just off on her own by virtue of, you know, the background she was coming from and then also kind of having that commercial failure in the late thirties and then Mm -hmm. like not writing for two decades. And then this book kind of blows up as, as this like revisiting of Jane Eyre, I think probably helped it. Yeah. That's a, that's a neat riff on the, on the, formula like as far as uh writer career arcs I'm sure go because she thought it was neat. <laughs> well i mean just like <laughs> yes talking, i know what you mean speaking about it from the remove of like yeah. 50 years it's like we we talk a lot about people who had a couple books come out and then they had a big book and then and then that like provided a bump for their older books but this is all happening within a range of like a decade yeah yeah and instead we have instead here we have this person who who wrote sort of unsuccessfully and lived in poverty and then scored a huge hit like right there kind of at the end yeah yeah it's it's interesting but then, but then didn't have to like die to get her work recognized either nope. i don't know it's yeah. or, or reevaluated you yeah. know that happens a lot too so yeah. or, or it's, yeah. it's an archetype we haven't talked about 
a ton in the space of like 500 and whatever episodes. Hey, you're right. We haven't. Always finding new stuff. That's us. Um, and yeah, you covered the connection to Jane Eyre that this is a, a an imagined backstory for the Mad Woman in the Attic. I think mm-hmm. it's been pointed out that the only things we know about that character in Jane Eyre who you know goes on to burn the estate down and all sorts of stuff uh, causing harm to people who probably deserve it um, is we only learn about her from, you know, Rochester or other like men that have mm-hmm. enabled that imprisonment. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing in the text that like this necessarily, this is a pretty sly retcon or like expansion of the fiction I think. yeah and in terms of what her function is in jane Eyre, like she's mostly just impediment right yeah like she's yeah. she's a reason why the the book needs to be longer well and, and, <laughs> to, and... to be completely like <laughs> just just be very like utilitarian about our discussion i guess well and they um, do wind up together at the end right rogerster and jane yeah so i think like think i don't know i might think twice about marrying that guy just based on what i know in jane Eyre, and then i think yeah, this book he, might be like hey really but though? he said he said mm. mr rochester said that it was cool oh, he said well. it was see, he said it was her fault <laughs> <laughs> oh well okay so i mean we kind of just have to take him at his word he seems like a nice guy so well we don't because we have this book to talk about it's it's true yeah well let's take a quick break and you can tell me all about it Okay, rat. A lot of talk about Sargasso Seas this week, but the only sea that I think you need to worry about is seeing a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we're happy to tell you about ZocDoc, a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed to take your insurance and are available (laughs) when you need them. Uh, ZocDoc is a service that lets you read up on local doctors. You get verified patient reviews, and you get to see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, then you choose a time slot and whether you want to see that doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked. You can find a doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. I've used ZocDoc to find uh, primary care physicians and dentists and many of the other doctors who service my various uh parts i'm gonna be using zocdoc <laughs> to f- to find someone who can help me with groaning too hard at the things that you just <laughs> oh well good i mean good luck but they probably have someone is the thing that's the ZocDoc. thing it's a pretty exhaustive database yeah and mm-hmm. it's you can get pretty granular in your search so like mm-hmm. i do think i if there if someone exists that can help for, me with this problem for your sake i hope that i am covered by your insurance <laughs> policy <laughs> so go to zocdoc.com slash overdue and download the zocdoc app for free then start your search for a top rated doctor today many are available within 24 hours that's zocdoc.com slash overdue ZocDoc.com slash overdue. Andrew. Craig. Do you like websites? I'd love them. Online love stores. Them. I love these. I love these things. Yes. Marketing tools. Sure. Analytics. 
Yeah, they're pretty good. Well, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business, and it's got all those things. It's all in one. Whoa, all it's the total package. It's a quintuple, quadruple quintuple threat. Yes, it's a it's a website Sex that helps you. Threat. It's got it's it's very it's very threatening, but like in no. an inviting and useful way. No, actually, Squarespace <laughs> is not threatening at all. You don't even Whoa. need to know how to code. They have beautiful drag and drop tools and and design award winning design templates that you can use to build your website, to build your business, and connect mm-hmm. with your fans. Um, we use Squarespace here on the podcast. They've got. Uh, tools that we've used, like their e-commerce uh, functionality, helps you like get your business off the ground. You can check stuff out pretty easily. Uh, we use the connected social media accounts, so you can publish directly out into the world the stuff that you're putting on your website. Uh, and you also want to check out your traffic overview, see where people are coming from, see what content they're clicking on. I always like to know what search terms people have used to find our podcast, and a lot mm-hmm. of them have to do with uh, how to win friends and influence people for some reason. <laughs> people still want to do that, I guess. We got good SEO on that one, which is great. Yes. Squarespace and- can help you with that, probably. And you own all of the content that you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability if you do ever want to move your site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you ever looked at you ever looked at your web service and is like, I can get my data out of here, but it would require two clicks, and that's I'm busy. I've got I can't click that many times. Yes. <laughs> well, Squarespace has you covered. But I don't think you want to leave because Squarespace is pretty good. Head mm-hmm. to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I see your book and raise mm-hmm. you uh, tell me about it. Well, okay. Uh, why is Sargasso C? Yeah, that it's book, one. It's Jane Eyre fan fiction. To be as whoa <laughs> bold take. We just talked about this woman's towering achievement towards the end of her life. But I'm, yeah, fan fiction's cool. Well, so that's you heard me say fan fiction, and you assumed I was being pejorative about it, and mm. I wasn't. So now who's? That's now who's making assumptions? My own petard is my mm-hmm. autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a book about that's kind of reclaiming and reimagining a character from the novel Jane Eyre. Which, if you're trying to find a book to do that in, I think Jane Eyre or like any Bronte or like Austen book is a good yeah selection because they sure. just all have so many people in them. <laughs> well but and i think jane Eyre has you know has an earned reputation as being very influential in just like what a novel is like what mm. prose novels do in terms of characters it's also positioned in like you know the history of britain and the british empire so like a pretty good target if you're gonna pick one you know, and it's one that everybody knows mm-hmm. or like people have heard of. Yes. It's why you did Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and not uh, Northanger Abbey and uh, Angels or something, you know, like <laughs> Southanger Abbey. Yeah. That, dang it. <laughs> it's set in South Boston. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. So, okay, here's here's the sort of inciting incident in this book is that in 1833, the Slavery Abolition Act mm. ends slavery in the United Kingdom. Yes. And, and, and come, that means the, the entire British Empire. Yeah, the entire British Empire, which, as you might recall, during this period, the sun never set upon it because those guys just loved coming in and telling everybody how to run their business. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And now it's... I don't know. There's probably some people around the world who are sort of grimly satisfied to see them become completely unable to run even their own business. Mm. <laughs> Those Brits mm. so, <laughs> uh, couldn't couldn't name the prime minister of the UK right uh, now. Head of lettuce. Head of lettuce. Um, but it the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 ends slavery in the British Empire, and it kind of, it kind of, reading about this kind. Of, in a in a sort of grimly funny way, I find it fun, like funny and frustrating. I find it to like run this kind of thing through the rubric of our modern political dialogue. So oh. they, end sla- they end slavery, but they didn't think about the impact that it would have on small business owners. Yeah, to to do this, and so in uh, Jamaica, some folks who run a some just some innocent job creators who run a sugar plantation now suddenly no longer have free enslaved labor. And didn't the act from like people. Mm-hmm. include payments to people who owned people? Like didn't I, it, I believe, and I don't know if it factors into this book, but I, I know that there was a period of time where they were making payments to people to be like, Hey, sorry about your income, bud. Here's a check. I do not. I do not know. Mm, off the okay, top of my head. Okay, doesn't factor that, into this book. Sure. I just know that here in America, we did not. We did not do that. And if you mention doing that, well, it that's gets too a that, lot of. That's a different bad people. Very mad at you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, we're in Jamaica. We're on a uh, former sugar plantation that is now going to seed because. Uh, because it no longer has enslaved people to do the work there on it. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we are getting this. This is uh, this book split up into three parts. Part one is from the perspective of Antoinette, our main character, also known as Bertha from Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a kid. Um, her mother is like they still have this plantation they still live there but they are poor and then they're also white which means that everybody hates them yeah okay um including most of the the black people who they they'd still live around um and the so so Antoinette's mother Annette remarries like she, she marries this uh, English guy named Mr. Mason Okay. So it's not really 100% clear through this through this first book what has become of Antoinette's father, but by the time we are paying attention to her um her mother has been uh, alone for some time. She doesn't have any money. They have this estate, but it's not really like doing anything for them. They are they are referred to many times as white n words because okay they are yeah because this is the the sort of position in society they are occupying i think i'm i'm reminded a little bit like this is a completely different context but i'm reminded a little bit of um gone with the wind where we were we talked a little bit about like the the societal divisions between like rich plantation owners and like the poor white people and yep. then the enslaved black people 
I was thinking of that also. Just and there were just like very specific fault lines between all of those groups for like different reasons. Yeah. And the, um, you also read when done gone. This is your second, at least your second one of the, the like the revisiting a, a classic work of yeah. literature, a classic and possibly problematic work of literature through. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That you, that you also read for the show. So good on you. Yeah. That yeah, I was trying to remember the, the reading a lot of fan fiction. <laughs> I was trying to remember what pair of books I, this, this project reminded me of, but okay, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and Mr. Mason enters the picture. You said, yes. Yeah, so um, she seeing her uh, Annette, who is Antoinette's mother, seeing her daughter's like poverty and and knowing how like disliked they are, and wanting to lift them up out of that. But like as a woman in the 19th century, only having really the one weapon to to yep. use to to fight this fight remarries to this guy, Mr. Mason, who is a, who does have money, does like restore their, uh, like personal comfort, but cannot restore the like reputational comfort. So Mr. Mr. Mason is a guy like from England and he comes in saying, I, I can like, I, I am married to you. I love my family, but also there's no reason to be worried about any of these formerly enslaved people who are living all around us. Like I, I think that everybody's equal and everybody's fine. And to put it that way, it makes it sound like some kind of horrible parable about how actually we're not equal and it's really, really bad. To, Ooh. But it's, he has, he has blinders on. He does not like recognize how, upset these people are about sure, how they sure. used to be slaves and he sh- and Annette is sort of trying to trying to talk him into leaving and he keeps saying why would we need to leave everything's fine like i nothing bad has ever happened to me because of my position of privilege and so why would anything bad ever happen to me ah okay mm-hmm. um so yeah Antoinette is is um she is doesn't love this guy mostly, but she does kind of start to show him a little bit of affection because she sees that her like her mother likes him a lot and she, she recognizes that he has helped and like improve their position and, and made things less like precarious for them. So so um things are going like okay, but then one night some mob of people descends upon their a state and like sets it on fire. Whoa. It, it's like black people coming down and, and uh, jeering at and, and destroying this plantation. Reminiscent because of it a... used to be a place where there were slaves. Like this, this is yeah. a completely justified. <laughs> yep. Reminiscent and, like, of another and, fire in another book that this book is interested in. And what the, what the book the 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 line the book has to toe that I think it does mostly is like we we feel for Antoinette and her family for having like as as individuals especially Antoinette for like I mean I guess Antoinette and Annette for like not really having at a personal level had anything to do with enslaving people or running this plantation. Like they didn't have the power to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel like Mr. Mason is a, is a dink for being so yep. blind to the society that lives in and the, the, uh, the 
what's the what's the word the consequences of yep. of the actions of the society that he lives in but we feel kind of bad for them while also not really feeling i at least i did not feel like the thing that the like the community did to this former slave plantation was completely unjustified like it is you you sent me a message that i think you were like kind of feeling your way through what the the needle that this book was threading. Mm-hmm. It sounds like um, I there I found an article in the Sydney Review of Books. Who is it by um, Sanita Perez? De, per, Sanita Perez de Costa, fifty years on from Wiser Gas OC, and is responding to like somebody who took issue with the settler point of view, like this, like, you know, white person's point of view in revisiting this text and, mm-hmm. you know, exploring these issues. The point of view is an interesting thing about this book that we can come back yep. to in a minute, but yeah. Um, saying that this other feminist critic, um, Spivak, had written saying that it limits the reader's knowledge of the subjectivity of Native characters uh, in the book. And the author of this article says, this criticism overlooks the fact that in placing Creole identity as a problem at the heart of legacies of slavery and colonialism, uh, Reese does describe, give loud voice to, if not speak for, a wide variety of colonized experiences. And in the essays that I found on this book, people returned to that like feeling of profound otherness that seems to have defined Reese, that she seems interested in with this character, and that, like, this is another consequence of colonization that isn't meant to say, like, it is just as bad as slavery or other things that were done to Native people. Um, but just it is an, this kind of, like, alienation from all places mm-hmm. is also a problem, is kind yeah. of a thing that it sounds like this book is interested in. Yeah, it, 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 it is a perspective that is being represented. And yeah. you you can't, I mean, you, you can, but it, it gets tedious, <laughs> is, like, criticize a work for not faithfully representing every single perspective that sure, is, exists sure. in the entire world. Like, well, and it's it just... also, but it sounds like what you're saying is that um, recognizing that that's the perspective it's taking doesn't necessarily absolve those characters of anything in particular, it just says this is what those characters are going through. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's the, the vibe that you get off, like, most of the black characters you meet are either, like, members of a, members of a mob who are burning a house down, or they are like servants of this family who don't seem particularly uh, like subservient to them or, or frequently seem to be laughing through their teeth at the white people. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And I think like the vibe that that cultivates is sort of menacing, but what, what I am bringing to it as a reader is, is like, yeah, maybe you deserve it a little bit Mm -hmm. to not Mm -hmm. feel completely comfortable with your position over these people, you know? Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So that's the, is that the end of the first third of the book? More well, not really. So um, the the house burns down. There's this scene where, like, the, the only reason the crowd breaks up is because this parrot who lived there, who had had clipped wings, like, appears hey. on a balcony, 
and like screams and tries to fly away, but can't because it has clipped wings. And so you just get this, this visual of this flaming parrot, like oh falling to its death. <laughs> oh. And every, and then the crowd is like, well, that's pro- that's bad luck when a parrot dies, which I've always said about parrots. Dying. I am always saying that about parrots all the time saying that. Yeah. And uh, Antoinette is like, ends up being like sent to a, sent to a convent is never like particularly pious, but mm. is like she is her the the family is kind of broken up. Uh, Antoinette had a younger brother uh, named Pierre who had like un has some non specified like mental and physical uh, illnesses that that made his life difficult, and then he dies in this fire and. Uh, Antoinette's mother sort of blames or yeah, blames Antoinette for this. And, and she is like, she, she is, Annette is like mentally broken by this experience. Like both the, like the, I tried to tell you so element of it. And then also just like having her family like broken apart. And we don't really, aside from Mr. Mason leaving Antoinette, a fair amount of money because he had some affection for her. We don't really hear about him again after this. He's just gone. Um, yeah. So like uh, Antoinette's mom is out of her life because she sort of kind of blames Antoinette for uh, Pierre dying. Um, and also just, she is, she has been deeply traumatized by this experience and just like kind of ceases to become a character after hmm. this happens. Okay. Um, so, part, so we talked about a little bit about, about perspectives and what I find interesting about perspectives in this book is we get like half of the, this is supposed to be a retelling of like a Bertha from Jane Eyre's story in a way that is more sympathetic to her. And it is. And it's interesting that that is the case because we get like half of the book from the perspective of Mr. Rochester. Surprise. <laughs> who like comes in here a few years after all this has happened uh, Mary's Antoinette. Now, from it's been a while since we talked about Jane Eyre. I was I was reading for summaries of the book to try and like make sure I could make the right connections. Um, what we know of of this of, of this marriage through Jane Eyre, I believe, is that Mister Rochester's father supposedly sort of dupes him into marrying Antoinette. Because like she that, has yeah. money through her stepfather, and okay. I'm not—I'm not sure that we know it's her stepfather, but like Antoinette has money, and she and uh, Mr. Rochester's dad, who kind of sucks, makes not kind of makes him marry her for for that money, and okay. it's all like very cynical, and it is a in Jane Eyre, it's a thing that helps us still think of Mr. Rochester as like a quote, good guy, even because though he, he was is, duped yeah. and, mm-hmm. and somebody got one over on him and he, mm-hmm. what else was he supposed to do? But lock this woman in the attic. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> come on, you do the same thing. That's well, the- in, in, in Jane Eyre. She has like congenital madness, madness and it's yeah. just like a thing that happens to her. And like, nobody like caused it. It was just, it's just congenital. It just happened she to her. She didn't experience and this, like, any the, trauma or yeah, something. Like, I'm, yeah. Like I am, frankly, I'm the victim of this madness that she has. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh. <laughs> so is Mr. Do we, um, do we like Mr. Rochester in this book? The impression, I mean, the impression that we get in this book is Mr. Rochester is, 
does does sure does need money and he does like his father and his older brother do seem to be like a bit of a burden on him and like a, a thing that he thinks about a lot mm-hmm. um but the main like the the main arc of the Ro- rochester part of the book is like he and antoinette are like kind of okay and at least they have like a good like physical relationship for a while but then somebody um who claims to be Antoinette's like half brother uh, starts to send him mail, like talking about how untrustworthy she is and, and, and all this stuff. And this like seeds, these sows, these seeds of like distrust between them where, where Rochester like thinks that there's like an ulterior motive going on. And then there are these uh, servants from, you know, from, from when Antoinette was younger, like uh, Christophine is the big one who are still hanging around who really don't seem to like, like him very much. Uh, he does not care at all for Jamaica. Like he is, he is pining constantly for the, the gray rainy city streets of, of England. I saw some quote in a, in one of the articles that was like, he said, he says something like everything is too much, too much blue, too much purple, too yes. much green. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a jerk. There's this scene where they have, they they have like candles lit and all these bugs keep coming in. Like there's this big, there's this moth that's so big that it knocks a candle over. And it's like, it's, he says it's a very beautiful moth, but I think of that as a, as a city dweller. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, that's too many bugs. And I (laughs) don't know if I could be okay with the place that had that many bugs in that specific kind of way. (laughs) And so they they are having sort of issues like trusting each other and communicating and they both feel not great about it. And so Antoinette goes to see uh Christophine and asks asks her to like you know basically to voodoo up a love potion or something to make <laughs> Mr. Rochester trust her. <laughs> and they have this they have this big emotional talk toward the end of this book where uh, Antoinette is sort of described. She describes to the reader. It is a pretty accurate description of part one of the book of like her, of her childhood and her relationship with her mother and everything that went like wrong with her life. And Mr. Rochester has trouble like believing her or seeing things from her perspective. And she sees that he is having trouble believing her because she, he has heard this stuff from this guy, Daniel, who claims to be her half brother, whether he is or not, the book never really like confirms or denies. It's strongly implied that he's kind of not, but also you just don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a combination of like this rejection of like her as a person and what her experience is. And then also, this rejection of like the, the people who she is comfortable with and like came up upon it is simultaneously a rejection of like the story that she is telling and also like her Creole background, her entire life and existence and who she is. Cool. Uh Okay, great. And like that, that is where in Jane Eyre, she just is kind of congenitally mad (laughs) Mm. in this book. She, it, it is portrayed as a, a um 
dang what I keep I'm having so much trouble finding words. It is a is a trickle that it's it's a knock on effect. Like what's the word a I'm knock, looking for? May, a, maybe it's a knock on effect. It it flows from her rejection, like the rejection yes. of her as a as a person with okay. like an experience. Yeah. Okay. And then she gives Rochester this. Uh, supposed love potion, which turns out to it seems pretty much like it's poison. Oh no! <laughs> and and so the relationship between them is bad. Uh, is poisoned after oh, this, after God, after he has been poisoned. Is poisoned, and he is just and he is not. He is no longer interested in in having a good relationship with her in the way uh, that he was kind of trying to figure uh, out how to uh. do before. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And then part part three is very short. It's just you, you. They're in England now. They're in a Thornfield Hall. She's been kind of locked away in her own rooms. Uh, she does escape occasionally because of Grace Poole, who is another Jane Eyre character yes, who yes. is who loves the loves the alky hall. Um, <laughs> and she has this she has this dream of like setting the house on fire in the way that her house was set on fire mm-hmm. and then like tossing herself to the pavement. And then she wakes up from that dream. And then that's pretty much what she does. Okay. Um, you don't really, there's, there's not really a moment where Antoinette like passes Jane Eyre and we get to see Jane Eyre, except there, there are like, you get one little, interaction where people in thornfield hall are like whoa is that a ghost because she's like flitting around being yeah, yeah, yeah. Being, being out all, yeah when she's not supposed to be out okay um so like i feel as as not a scholar of jane Eyre and as somebody who last read jane Eyre, what like four years ago probably eight years ago if we're talking about episode 150 or whatever yeah um I, I wish I could talk more about like the the parallels of, of b- between these characters because the the edition of Sargasso Sea that I read there's not an ebook edition right now don't buy the one on Etsy the OCR on it is super busted and I got okay. I got our money back so don't okay. worry about it <laughs> uh, but there's a there's an introduction from uh, Edwidge Danticat yep uh, talking about how. Uh, this is this this paragraph I found interesting. Uh, what if Jane and Antoinette had become friends? And what if Christophine could have a novel of her own? Uh, it took Jean Reese nine years to finish this book, so I know it's no easy task to spin a whole story out of these seemingly simple questions. I still can't help but hope that maybe one day someone else will open up yet another portal into these incredibly intertwined worlds, one that brings our two headstrong and ultimately powerful heroines together on their own imaginary sea. So what I wish I could talk about more is parallels between... Jane and between Antoinette as these sort of quote strong female characters who are working in like a super patriarchal society where marriage and and like money through marriage is sort of the only power that they have. Yes. Yes. Um, Like Antoinette's like a big, a big thing with her is like, she, she's the one who brings all the money to this relationship, but she got married to this guy already and then and then he's a guy and so the money is just kind of de facto his mm. and that is that is why he gets to whisk her off to England and lock her in an attic you know like the- <laughs> <laughs> um and then Jane like they are different characters like I think Jane, Jane is 
is sort of pious and, and Antoinette yeah, has, is, is very disillusioned. Um, but they, and that, but they're, they're both married to Mr. Rochester and they both have very different experiences of being married to Mr. Rochester. Oh boy. Um, woof. So I wish, I wish I could talk more about that. I know those parallels are there. Mm-hmm. I think if you are a big Bronte fan and a bit, if you've read Jane Eyre a lot of times and you haven't read Sargasso Sea, I think you'll get a lot out of it. I encountered it as, as like an interesting take on a character. I kind of barely remembered, but I, I think if you came to it as somebody who knew a little bit more, you would, you would be able, you'd be able to just like sit down there with a notepad and draw a bunch of like straight lines from one thing about Jane to one thing about Antoinette and maybe sure. you'd have fun doing that. Sure. Well, it also sounds like the, one of the tasks of the novel, I don't know if that's the right word, but one of the things it's, it's up to one of the things it's interested in. Yeah. Is, uh, not drawing lines between Rochester necessarily, but like, just kind of inverting your notion of of that guy a little bit, or like, I don't know, sketching in a different part than what Jane Eyre ultimately ended up being interested in. Like the fact the fact that she still winds up with him at the end of Jane Eyre, and then like this book is like, nah, he's kind of stinks, and then he locks. He her like kind of stinks, like, <laughs> but he did get like poisoned by her. He's, it's not that's the that's the thing is he is simultaneously like he's he's definitely not as like he's not bluebeard i guess in in, um in jane Eyre, but he is not nothing in this book like directly contradicts what we know about him and jane Eyre. it's mostly just like jane Eyre leaves a lot of gaps that somebody could could jump into and play around with and that's kind of what the book does i think and also it just yeah as we we talked uh about the like all of the post-colonial stuff of just like what does it do to to people's identities to have you know your whole backstory and where you come from and everything just kind of be taken away from you well i I think like i think it says a lot that you've got these two like smart attractive young women from difficult circumstances and one is like from england yeah. And like at least shares that with Rochester. Mm. And then one is Creole and he has for some to completely mysterious reason, he has a super difficult time trusting her and forming a relationship with her. Uh. And I can't imagine, you know, I can't just can't imagine why that would be. Can't imagine. What the, like, what's the, what's the, what's the X factor there? I just don't know. <laughs> it's hard, too hard for me to figure out. Uh, there was there was another uh, Lit Hub article by Bridget Reed um, doing some of this connective tissue, and I, I think one of the things that it's called started the fire. Oh, what is it? Uh, Charlotte Bronte may have started the fire, but Jean Reese burned down the house, and it uh, which is it an, should a they should should have tried harder to make like a make it a we didn't start the fire. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but it kind of Reed argues even more in in favor of kind of Reese's interest in women uh not of the bronte austin social class right which is kind of what this book is about you know people who are who are facing more dire circumstances uh as it informs their choices so mm-hmm. yeah well uh i'm glad that you had a time with this book 
Yeah, it's it was Jane Eyre so long, and I couldn't get another episode out of it. So, like, I could I could say it makes me want to read Jane Eyre again. I don't think realistically that that is going to happen. No, but I it's, I don't want you to have to do all the stuff in San Francisco again. No, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to recreate the the conditions that that episode was recorded under. But yeah, it does. I I do like this genre of. Again, I, I will keep using fan fiction because it's just the easiest. Like, I'm just yeah. reaching up for a comparison, like a, yeah. a terminology for it. And that's what my hand keeps finding, like in the darkness as I grope around. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I like this this genre of fan fiction, like riff, uh, riffs on an established work that, mm-hmm. that do interesting things with with characters that we already kind of know about and also like managed to bring the author's perspective into it too. And like, that's, that's what, that's a lot of what gives it its, its value. And it's what's interesting about it is it's just a person seeing another person in a story that they read being like sort of seeing themselves reflected in some aspects of that person and then deciding, you know, that this is a, this is a character that needs to be, pulled on a little bit more like yeah. there, there is more here outside of what uh like charlotte bronte's experience was and yeah. i could i could bring something to that and then and then to have the like the literary community and and readers sort of see that and recognize it and not give it the pejorative fan fiction label yeah. that would be yeah. so easy to give it like it's just it's an interesting phenomenon and it's maybe telling that it's happened for a couple of books we've read and, and lots of others besides. So, yeah. Well, and it's so, it's such an interesting choice to say, to not just go like, well, I'm just going to go write my own book. Like I want to write a book that is in conversation with this other book. Yeah. And not just one where it's like, well, what if, what if Bella and Edward, but they were like, they had like a sub Dom thing going on or like Bella and (laughs) Edward, but Ella and Bedward like flip them. Ooh, Bed, bedward bedward that's that's 50 shades of gram all right i'm sailing the sargasso sea bedward my dudes mm-hmm. uh let's get out of here <laughs> Ugh, gross okay fine uh if you have a book that you think uh would make for an interesting kind of reclamation project like this one let us know we'd love to hear it uh i mean like you own your own ip do whatever you want but send us an email tell yeah. us about your unless cool it's idea. in the public if it's in the public what? domain do whatever you want Sherlock Public Holmes domain's is, back, baby. Sherlock yeah, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes is, is coming. We could write a Sherlock Holmes book. Get ready. Mm-hmm. The mystery of the podcast, boys. The mystery of the, yeah, of the lost microphone. Oh. <laughs> I dropped a thing on my desk. I was so excited. Send us an email, overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at overdue pod. That's where you can find us. Thanks. Oh, sh- I should have called it a study in Squarespace. <laughs> Thanks to folks like <laughs> Book Girl, Dave, Carol, and Tim, Carrie, Kate, Tom, Tim, and more for reaching out in the past week. Nick Loran just composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Oh, boy. I can't imagine why they would, but they can go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. I'll let Craig read you the January schedule here in just a minute. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash overduepod is where you can support the show financially. 
uh, pay for our web hosting, join our Discord server, pay for books and equipment, all the things that we need to keep the show going, uh, pay for daycare for our children. Yeah. Because we also need that to keep the show going. It's true. Uh, Craig, what are the books that we're going to read here in January of 2023? Next week, we're going to be talking about Harriet the Spy. After that, we're going to be talking about The Last of the Mohicans, which is our patron's choice book for the month. Andrew mentioned. Finally. Yes. We've Andrew. been talking about these Mohicans for so long, and finally we're at the last of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh with the, you can find out more about those choices at patreon.com. Uh, then Cast in Shadow uh, by Michelle Cigar. I think it's the Elantra series. It's not about cars, though. I know it's the Elantra series because I recently had a Hyundai Elantra stolen from in front of my house. And yeah. you brought the Elantra series to me. And I'm like, I was like, really? Yeah. In this economy? Sorry about that. And then we're going to close out the... I got hit by the Kia boys. It's okay. I know. You're going to close out the month with the three-body problem. Um, Celebrated sci-fi novel. Excited to talk about that. Uh, Our last uh, Goosebumps kind of bonus ep will hit the main feed this week. You'll hear us talk about the film Goosebumps 2015. Uh, And then we're going to do a bonus bonus stream as a make good for Spooktober. You're going to hear us... Uh, have our Scary bonus stream coming up later. We're going to talk about Horror Store uh, by Grady Hendrix. It looks like What If Horror, but in Ikea? Horror Store. Yeah. I just want to be crystal clear in my pronunciation. Yeah. Horror Store. Horror Store. Horror Store with yes. an umlaut somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's What If the Meatballs Were Scary. What? Mm, they can't. I don't be know scary. That's, if that's what the book's about, but that's sit, what it is sit, to me. Sitting down under those lights for a lot of hours—that's scary. It is kind of scary. Food safety—that's the—that's the horror story that you love when you're in your thirties. <laughs> Maybe it's just a guy who flat packs a bunch of teens. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Yikes! Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening to our podcast again. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.